Women Quan K16, Yun Men, The Sound of the Bell. Yun Men said, See how vast and wide the world is. Why do you put on your seven-piece robe at the sound of the bell? Women's comment. All you Zen students training in the way, don't be victimized by sounds. Don't follow up on forms. You may have realization on hearing a sound or enlightenment on seeing a form. That's natural. But don't you know that true Zen students can ride sounds and veil forms? They see all and sundry clearly they handle each and everything deftly. Perhaps you are such a person, but tell me, does the sound come to the ear, or does the ear go to the sound? And if you have transcended sound and silence, what do you say at such a point? If you listen with your ear, it is hard to understand. If you hear with your eye, you are intimate at last. Woman's verse. With realization, all things are one family. Without realization, all things are disconnected. Without realization, all things are one family. With realization, all things are disconnected. <laughs> Please sit comfortably. <laughs> Why do you sit? Why are you at Seshin? Why do you get up and go to work? Why do you feed the cat? Why do you eat chocolate? Looking at you. <laughs> See how vast and wide the world is. Anything is possible. Why do you put on your seven-piece robe at the sound of the bell? Although it will not necessarily help you much in the Doxan room, it can be an interesting question to explore. Why do I get up when the bell rings? 
Why do I take a shower in the morning? Why do I walk the dog or play the piano? It's possible to go down many winding paths, philosophical, psychological, practical, exploring this question. But really the answer is always right there. No need to get distracted by ideas. This question, why do you put on your seven-piece robe at the sound of the bell, is asked by Yun Men, one of the greatest early Chinese masters of our tradition. As you should all well know by now. <laughs> we met him in the last case, questioning Dong Shan. But here, no other monk is being questioned. Only us, left here now to hear those words. See how vast and wide the world is. And then be impelled to wonder for ourselves. Why do we put on our sitting clothes at the sound of the bell? But don't think for one moment that there's an answer to this that can be arrived at through reason, argument, or psychologizing. Yun Men, like his teacher Zui Feng, was wary of words and used them sparingly. In a time when we are inundated by words, by commentary on everything, all day, every day, if we want it, it is wise to use words sparingly, especially when espousing the Dharma. <laughs> Expounding the Dharma. <laughs> Nevertheless, I shall press on, aware of the infamous Iron Kang. Yun Men reputedly had a distrust of words and is famous for his short exchanges. Or not even exchanges, as in this case, Although we know that there was an audience for these words, since they were addressed to his many monks who had come to the hall to hear him speak. Yet, when he did speak, his words made an impact and were remembered. There are more koans featuring Yun Men in the major koan collections than any other Zen master, and he even beats Zhao Zhou by a whisker. What's more, apparently his students wrote down his words, even though he forbade them to do so. So his words, as they were passed down to us via koan collections, are probably pretty accurate. As I mentioned when speaking of the previous case, Yun Men was initially a student of Mu Zhou and then Zui Feng. But after that, when he was about 40, he took off on pilgrimage for about 10 years, testing himself and the other masters he met on his travels. He was actually quite dismissive of pilgrims who called in to see him while they wandered around. But according to one report, Yun Men set out on pilgrimage to test and deepen his insight into the emptiness of all that is. 
through exchanges with other awakened teachers. His intent was not to find answers, meaning and direction, but rather to reaffirm his inner knowing that there is no direction to be taken. Here is an exchange he had with Zen Master Chaoshan when they met as peers. Yun Men, why is it that one does not know the existence of that which is most immediate? Chaoshan, just because it is the most immediate. Yun Men, exactly, exactly. So he was continuing to deepen his insight that there are no answers, that there is no direction, that there is nothing to look for elsewhere. During the pilgrimage, he made his way south to the temple of the sixth patriarch, Wei Neng, near Zhaozhou, and then went on to Zhaozhou, where he developed an affinity with Master Rumin and became head monk there even though he was a teacher in his own right, for seven years. We often tend to think of all this taking place in a kind of historical vacuum, but at this time, the Tang dynasty in the north had collapsed, and there was a period of great political upheaval, as I mentioned before, and the area was ravaged by war, whereas in the south, it was peaceful and stable and wealthy due to international trading via the port of Hong Kong. Yes, even then. <laughs> so, to cut a long story short, someone very powerful and wealthy started to call himself emperor in the southern region. <laughs> emperor Gao and Yun Men had first met him while he was head monk with Ru Nin. The emperor was impressed by Yun Men and at some point made him the abbot of the monastery after Ru Nin died. Ru Nin died and then, after a few years, acceded to Yun Men's request for a quieter monastery and built one for him where Yun Men remained teaching for the next 20 years. The emperor had actually wanted Yun Men to be promoted to an imperial position, but Yun Men managed to skillfully evade that and remain at his monastery on Yun Men Mountain, which was nevertheless supported by donations from the emperor. So he obviously had the emperor around his little finger quite well, didn't he? <laughs> I'd just like to quote some words from the record of Yun Men that were recorded about his death because they convey not just the high esteem in which he was held, but the love which people felt for him. On this day, the drifting clouds stood respectfully still and the grave tree withered. The cry of the mountain's lone monkeys sharpened the pain of the loss and invisible birds' voices that pierced the woods heightened the regret and sadness of the separation. 
the mourners hid their faces in their collars and stood around crying. It also conveys a sense of this place, Yunmen Mountain, in the clouds, with the birds and the monkeys, far from the world of politics and commerce that supported it. And there, in that place, Yunmen himself and all his monks would put on their robes ready to gather each day at the sound of the bell. Why did they do that? Actually, don't think that there is any special significance in the robes. That is what the monks wore. As more than one recent Zen master has said, the question might be, why do you pick up the telephone and answer it when it rings? Actually, looking back now, the teachers who said that were speaking at the time before mobile phones, let alone smartphones. So you had to answer the phone in those days because you never knew who it was otherwise. You know, you didn't know who was calling. And for many decades, even before that, people couldn't even leave a message as answering machines hadn't been invented. So, yeah, we answered the phone. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, it could have been either of those questions. Why do you put on your robes at the sound of the bell? Why do you answer the telephone when it rings? And I'm sure you can think of other similar examples. Why? Women's comment. All you Zen students training in the way, don't be victimized by sounds. Don't follow up on forms. Don't get distracted. It's very easy to do that, isn't it? You hear a bird sing and you wonder where it is, what it is, or you see someone moving around in the dojo and you start to hope perhaps it's almost time for lunch. Yeah. You may have realization on hearing a sound or enlightenment on seeing a form. That's natural. We may have heard accounts of people attaining realization after seeing a tree full of blossom or hearing the drip of water on a stone. You may have even experienced some glimpse into the matter itself as a result of such an experience. But don't hold on to it. Memory is just another thought. But don't you know that true Zen students can ride sounds and veil forms they see all and sundry clearly. They handle each and everything deftly. How do you do that? How do you handle things deftly? Perhaps you are such a person. If so, Wumen challenges you. But tell me, does the sound come to the ear? 
or does the ear go to the sound? This is a great question. What's the answer? And if you have transcended sound and silence, what do you say at such a point? If you listen with your ear, it is hard to understand. If you hear with your eye, you are intimate at last. How do you hear with your eye? I remember hearing this line years ago and being completely baffled. You know that really, really baffled feeling? <laughs> or perhaps you don't. <laughs> Actually, Baffling or not, these lines are very beautiful and it seems that Wu Men actually is drawing on the poem that Dong Shan spoke when Yun Men said, haven't you seen that in the Amitabha Sutra it says, the lakes and rivers, the birds, the forests, they all chant Buddha, they all chant Dharma. Hearing those words, Dongshan had a great insight and wrote a verse. How incredible, how incredible, inanimate things proclaiming Dharma is inconceivable. It can't be known if the ears try to hear it. But when the eyes hear it, then it may be known. Woman's verse. With realization, all things are one family. Without realization, all things are disconnected. Without realization, all things are one family. With realization, all things are disconnected. With realization or without realization, all things are one family. Without realization or with realization, all things are disconnected. Does this verse make any sense at all? <laughs> without realization, all things are disconnected. Things are separate like parts of a machine. And this Cartesian mindset allows people to behave as if we exist independently of all this. Of course, each of us is separate, you, me, the cushions, but we're not disconnected. This is the tragedy of the time we are living in, where it seems that many rich and powerful people, people who could perhaps make a difference to our current dire situation, are unaware or do not care about the fact that we are all completely interconnected and that without stardust and rain, oxygen and carbon, gut microbes and pollinating insects, we wouldn't be here. I don't want 
here to get into political and ecological argument, but I mention it because awareness of the dangers of this disconnection have forever been at the heart of the development of Zen, of Chan. Uh, I don't mean that people in China who brought aspects of Taoist sensibility to Chan, which gives it its different flavor, anticipated the particular crisis that our technological, economic, and political systems have led us to now. Rather, that they were deeply aware of the interconnectedness of all earth forms. At that time, that across the world, when agriculture was becoming widespread, allowing for some people to become wealthy and powerful and alienated from indigenous knowledge, which is always earth-based. While many belief systems that arose around the same time, Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, Islam, emphasized alternatives to the difficulties of earthly life, rewards such as heaven or nirvana, if this life you know, wasn't too good, there was the promise of something better elsewhere, but Chan Zen kept its feet on the ground, knowing full well that this very place is the lotus land. But even that can be filed away as an idea. What Yunmen both realized and practiced was that there is no direction to be taken. Recall earlier my quote that says that while on pilgrimage, his intent was not to find answers, meaning and direction, but rather to reaffirm his inner knowing that there is no direction to be taken. This is the power of our practice. There is no agenda. There is no direction. Like anyone who lives on earth would have known over the tens of thousands of years before the development of civilizations, you have to be alert and ready for anything. Attention, attention. Living in a developed country with all the protections that it provides allows us to relax, knowing we are unlikely to be in danger when we leave our dwellings in search of food or settle down to sleep at night. And despite all the problems we grumble about, we know that most of us will be able to get food and water when we need it, and medical treatment will be available if we are injured. However, we know that over the coming decades, the ecological crisis is likely to worsen, and we don't know exactly what that will do. The indications are that it will lead to, or could lead to mass movement of population, shortages of food, water, and fuel, and the disruption of economic and government systems, all of which often lead to conflict. I'm not saying this to frighten you, but to encourage you to be alert to the fact that uncertainty and change is really normal. It's the way life is. 
We've become abnormally used to things functioning pretty predictably over many decades now. So we tend to be quite put out when our car is out of action or our toilet is blocked. And I, I actually wrote that before our toilet did get blocked. <laughs> I'll be really careful what I... <laughs> but let alone when our suburb is completely flooded or our house burns down. We have forgotten what it is like to live, as most creatures do, without certainty, but responding deftly in the moment to circumstances. This is how we must live. One story about Yun Men says that he said to his congregation, every day you come and go asking endless questions. If you were crossing a river, how would you do so? A long-time resident of the monastery responded, Step. I like to think he demonstrated this as he spoke. Yun Men was highly pleased with this answer. See how easy it could have been for you. <laughs> so, returning to this particular case, don't be fooled into thinking that we put on our robes at the sound of the bell out of habit. Why do you put on your seven-piece robe at the sound of the bell? Thank you for your attention. <laughs>